Hey, can we give a big thank you to our worship team this morning? We've got some awesome awake folks leading worship this morning. Brady Sanders on the piano up there. Brooke Ryder singing with us. Anna Raquel playing keys and singing with us. And, and Janelle Shack playing cajon with us, uh, an awake mom. So, yeah, let's give that one more big thank you. Thanks, worship team. I love you guys. You may be saying to yourself, Seth, were those people just wearing shirts with your faces on it? Yes, that is the case. I know it's weird. I didn't wear it today because it's weird that my face is on a shirt, but our life team is getting ready to take off on July 4th, and this is the brainchild of some students who wanted to design a life shirt, and I said, okay, because I want to give kids the creative freedom to just make awesome shirts, and my face is on a shirt, so I feel like pretty cool this morning. Uh, just wanted to clear the air in case you were like, why are there faces of Seth on shirts? It's also a reminder, Life Team, don't forget to pick up your shirts if you have not picked up your shirts. They're in the lobby. And be praying for us. We take off on July 4th. We'll be gone till the 11th for the Life Conference. Thousands of students from across the nation coming together for this high school conference of the Christian Missionary Alliance. I'm really excited uh, for that opportunity, but I'm also excited today to bring you the Word of God. Uh, we've been in this series, In My Generation. And uh, speaking of generations, uh, I snapped a photo on Father's Day of three Roush generations up here. You can take a peek. Uh, this is... Me, with my bald head, my dad, with his bald head, I inherited that. Uh, and Charlie, he's still got a nice uh, head of hair there. Good job, Charlie. So we're, we're, we're cute, we're a little crazy. And then uh, another picture of just generations. This is me and my family, if you don't know my family. My wife, Alyssa, and our four beautiful children. This is our baby, Felicity May, who was just born on June 4th uh, at the, the wee hours of two in the morning. So we got our hands full. This is three weeks and a day ago that this baby was born. So I'm coming to you tired and on lots of coffee at this moment, okay? Everybody is healthy, we're very happy, we have a good baby and extra little hands to help care for the baby. So thanks for your prayers and support over our family over these last couple weeks. It's felt and we're very grateful. So this morning in this series in my generation, we're gonna take a look at Elijah and we're gonna take a look at the prophet Elisha. So if you would turn with me in the scroll to 2 Kings chapter two, verses one through 14. That's where we're going to read to kick off the morning. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Just a show of hands. Who has ever read through the book of 1 and 2 Kings before? Cool. It's a lot of exciting stuff in 1 and 2 Kings. Lots of killing, slaughtering, the Lord having his way, trying to get his people back on the right track. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. As a boy, like if I was reading Bible stories, it was like the Old Testament slaughterings that were drawing me into the word. I mean, if I'm being honest, I wanted to see and be wowed by God, but that was like so cool to see in here. Okay. Anyway, 2 Kings chapter 2, starting at verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. 
And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Verse seven, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it, the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. Let's pray. God, this morning, would you just add a blessing and favor to the, to the reading of your word? I pray that you give us spiritual ears and spiritual hearts, soften our, our minds and our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us today. Would you use the power of your Holy Spirit to do what the power of your Holy Spirit does in moments like this, to help make us more and more Christ-like, to equip us for being strong kingdom dwellers for your kingdom and for your glory. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've got these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Well, what is a prophet to begin with? Maybe you're new to church or new to reading the Bible and you're not even 100% sure who these guys are, what their role is, what are they doing? What are these people all about? Well, Elijah and Elisha are prophets and their role, there's three things I wanna highlight that they would be prone to do that was part of their calling as prophets. One is that they would speak on God's behalf. God would give the prophets a word and instruction and they would tell it to the people of Israel. They would tell it to the leadership over Israel. Number two, the prophets would hold leadership of the people of God accountable to following God's covenant. They would need reminded sometimes, hey, this is what God's covenant says. This is the law of the Lord. Let me help keep you accountable to that. And third, they would call out idolatry and injustice under the rule of the kings. They would call out idolatry and injustice under the rule of the kings. A little bit of cultural context here. King Ahab is king of northern Israel and his wife is, is a Canaanite lady named Jezebel. And together they instituted the worship of the Canaanite god Baal over Israel. 
There was other idol worship going on as well, folks submitting themselves to worshiping false gods with their minds and their bodies, convincing others to give up on Yahweh and follow some earthly ways, some worldly ways to honor false gods. So God, the true and living God, sends prophets to guide the people back to honoring God and remembering him. But alas, people still fall back again and again into sin, into pride, and forget the Almighty, prone to wander. Through Elijah, God speaks and moves and proves that Yahweh is the almighty, all-powerful creator God. And so what I want to show you right now, I just want to highlight a list of miraculous ways that God proves himself and moves through Elijah. So hang in there. I'm going to share a list with you from 1 Kings chapter 17 uh, up through 19. But these are just some cool stories that we see come to the, the surface here in this section of scripture. Elijah appears on the scene in chapter 17, verse 1 of, of 1 Kings. And Elijah prophesies that a drought is going to, to overtake the land, that there's not going to be rain for a couple of years. And guess what? It happens. It starts. God spoke through Elijah. Elijah speaks what God said, and it started. Can you say hallelujah? Yeah. He's being obedient. Really cool. God's making it happen. In 1 Kings 17, 14 through 16, Elijah is tired after a long journey that the Lord sent him on, and uh, he's in need of some sustenance. So he asks a widow for a meal. He ends up at this, this village, and there's a widow there, and, and he's like, please, widow, would you provide for me some cake and something to drink? And she says, no, I literally only have enough for one more meal for me and my son, uh, and after that, we have no resources, no food. We're going to die. And Elijah tells her, that's not going to be the case. Go make me a cake and a drink. And then until the drought ends, the Lord is going to sustain your oil and your flour the rest of the way through. It's going to be a miracle. And sure enough, until the drought is over, it happened. Can you say hallelujah? Yeah. And then again in 1 Kings 17, 22 to 23, the widow's son is taken ill and Elijah cries out unto the Lord. Uh, after this boy dies, he lays himself on top of the boy's body. God, please bring life back into this boy to reveal your glory. And the boy comes back to life. It happened. That's awesome. Calling on the power of God and we see a miracle here. The boy comes back to life. The, the name of the Lord has the power to restore life. Can you say Hallelujah. In 1 Kings 18, we're moving up a chapter here. This is a, a more famous story from the life of Elijah. You might know this story where he defeats the prophets of Baal. He pulls together 450 prophets of Baal who are residing in Israel, and they get to, ready to have a showdown. They're going to have a competition to prove if God, Yahweh, is the real creator God in control and all power, powerful over everything, or if Baal, this false god that they're worshiping, if this Baal, this false god, this idol god, has the power to show uh, is, is this God a real God? Is this the God? So they build two altars, right? The Baal worshipers, they build an altar and they spend all day from morning to night calling on Baal. Oh, Baal, come and light up the altar so that everybody knows you're God, Baal. Well, the, Baal doesn't show up. There's no showing up of Baal here. So the people, it was their tradition, they would start cutting themselves and hurting themselves to try and get attention from Baal, which is a terrible God to, to worship that way. I mean, it's not for me, but okay. So this is what the people of Baal were doing. The prophets of Baal were trying to call on Baal. 
Uh, and Elijah, I remember reading this as a teenager and just thinking it's so funny. Elijah's taunting them like, hey, maybe your God is asleep or maybe he's relieving himself in the bathroom. Uh, whatever your translation might say. It's just, he's taunting the prophets of Baal now. He knows their God is not a real God. This is a false God that they have been blinded to seeing the truth of Yahweh. They have given up on Yahweh. So it's the end of the day after a whole day of trying to call out to this false God. Nothing happens. And he says, okay, I'm gonna make an altar now. I'm gonna make an altar unto the Lord, put the bull on top, douse the whole thing with a whole bunch of jugs of water. Yeah, do it again. Get more water, twice as much water. Three times as much water. They just douse so much water. This altar is soaked and there's a moat of water all around and he calls upon the name of God and the Lord sends fire and looks up the, licks up the, the bull, the stones, the water and everything where that altar was is just completely gone, eviscerated. Uh, and it's after that moment that God says, now you're gonna go and destroy all the prophets of Baal and he takes care of that. It's pretty cool. But here, God proves himself. He he proves he is Yahweh by sending fire and lighting up the altar. Can you say hallelujah? Yeah. So after this story, Elijah calls for rain to end the drought. Remember when he prophesied there's gonna be a drought for a couple of years because you people have forgotten who God is and you need to remember the word of the Lord is true and stands and he's proving himself to be all powerful. So that drought came and then at the end of chapter 18, Elijah calls for the end, for the end of the, the drought. He calls for rain. He calls out to God and it happens. Rain comes, and God proves that he is God again. Can you say hallelujah? Yeah. So uh, a fun story at the end of 18, verse 46. Uh, we find that Elijah has the hand of God on him. What happens is he has, uh, Elijah has this meeting with King Ahab, uh, and then they plan to meet back at Jezreel. And what happens is uh, King Ahab hops on his chariot, and he's got a horse attached to his chariot, and the chariot is pulled by the horse real quick to Jezreel. But it says, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, so much so that he's able to run and get back to Jezreel faster than Ahab is on his horse and chariot. It's just like a real quick one sentence, by the way, God's hand was on him and he got there faster than Ahab in a chariot. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Can you imagine just sprinting faster than Usain Bolt? Cool, fastest guy in the world, Elijah. That's a cool story. And then in 19, uh, chapter 19, uh, when Jezebel, the, the wife of King Ahab, finds out that Elijah has slain all the prophets of Baal, she gets real mad and she says, that's it, we're gonna kill Elijah. So she threatens Elijah's life. And here's what's cool, here's what happens. Well, it's not really cool, but here's what happens. Elijah gets scared. He flees and hides for some time. Uh, and in his fleeing, in his fear, in his hiding, God does send an angel to provide hotcakes and water. This is really cool. Like he's out there, he's starving, he's running away, and God sends an angel to give him some sustenance, some hotcakes and some water. Uh, this happens for a couple times, and then after that, for about 40 days, it says, that those meals sustained him for 40 days to complete his journey, which is pretty cool. That, that magical miracle food, whatever the angel gave hotcakes and water, sustains Elijah for 40 days, and that happened. Can you say hallelujah? That's really cool. Another famous story in 19, we see God speak to Elijah. Not in a mighty wind that Elijah was in, not in a mighty earthquake that surrounded, that surrounded Elijah, and not a raging fire that was right before Elijah's eyes. But God spoke to Elijah in a whisper. This is where he receives further instruction to anoint the next king over Israel. 
and the prophet who will rise up to be in place, and his name is Elisha. Now, God had been speaking to Elijah all along and giving him instruction, giving him guidance, giving him a word for the people uh, of Israel and for King Ahab over Israel. Why did he need this dreadful experience of being caught in, in a windstorm, an earthquake, and a fire? To remind him of the power of the one who made him. To, the, to remind him of the one who called him unto himself and sent him out for his glory. We all need reminders from time to time. And sometimes God uses circumstances way beyond our control to remind us that he is in control and we need to be dependent upon him. It's in the mix of this same story, um, just a bit before that speaking in a whisper to Elijah, when that threat came to Elijah from Jezebel, um, I told you Elijah ran. He ran for his life. He was terrified. It brought him to a place mentally of depression and great anxiety and even thoughts of suicide. And I'm not making that up. He laid down and asked God to just take his life, to take his breath away and just let it be over. He couldn't take it anymore. The fear, the running. Somebody was out to get him and he was scared. But no, despite being in a dark place, in between being used by God for God's glory, God was not finished with Elijah. And he would do even more through him despite his fleeing and hiding. Can you say hallelujah to that? Yeah. It's after this experience, God reminds him of, of who he is again and, and what he is doing. And, and there's two different scenes where right after this, Elijah calls fire down on like a hundred guys. And I think this is partially to remind Elijah, you have the power of God in you and you are smiting the enemies by the power of God. I think it's also to remind King Ahab, this is my guy. God saying, this is my prophet who I have placed to help course correct you and the people of Israel back on track. Turn your hearts back to me. It's a powerful story. Elijah's wild again, and the king and his men, they're smitten. Now, God is not some unresponsive idol that may or may not be listening. He is Yahweh, creator and mover of all things. He's giving life and taking breath. He is the one who numbers the days of man and puts his glory on full display for us all to see and be reminded who he is. At the same time, he is full of mercy for those who believe in him and call upon his name. So this brings us to where we find Elisha entering the picture now. Elisha is called by Elijah to follow in his footsteps. This is found in 1 Kings 19, starting at verse 16. I wanna read this to you. This is what comes in the whisper that God speaks to Elijah when he's in the cave after the wind and the earthquake and the storm. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalal, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. He's talking about clearing out those who would worship Baal or the Asherah or other false idols. God's saying, I'm doing a cleansing and these are the people coming next who are gonna help take care of the cleansing who are not obeying me, who are not following me, who are not trusting me as Yahweh, who have been given over to false idols. So verse 18 picks up, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha 
son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment took the, uh, to, to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he, sat out, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So I want to pause here and change gears for just a moment, but it's clear that we have seen God working in the life of Elijah, Right? It's clear that this dude has a testimony of experiencing the power of God in his life. People all around him see this and know this, and it's no surprise. So what I want to do right now is just take a moment to look for some elements in this story so far where we see the younger generation honoring the older generation. And again, I think this is a biblical call to do so. As Pastor Chad shared last week, highlighting one of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. We're called to honor those who are our parents. We're called to all honor our elders as well. First Timothy instructs us in chapter 5 do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Listen to what Proverbs 19 says about listening to wise counsel of generations before you. It says, listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. It's good to take wisdom and counsel from generations ahead of us. They have been there. They have been through it. At this point, Elijah has a bit of a reputation that long list of miracles and glory displaying moments that Elijah was a part of that I read to you. Elijah, Elisha would know these things. He would have heard. And if you saw Elijah coming for you, what would you do? Would you maybe cower and ignore it, try and like act like you didn't see him coming? Like this dude has ha- had the hand of God on him. So I don't know if I'm about to get smote right now or if something miraculous is going to happen. You could be terrified and rightly so. no. That's not what Elisha does. In his call to ministry, he is determined from the get-go to be fully devoted. He's sold out. He goes all in. It says he burns his plow and sacrifices his oxen to share the feast with his friends and family and neighbors. And he heads out to follow Elijah and all that God has for him. So here, yes, he is honoring God, but he's also honoring Elijah in obedience to the call from him. There's five particular things that I want to highlight in ways that I think Elisha honors Elijah from the stories we have read so far. First is this story that I just shared, his obedience at the call from Elijah. He said, yep, I'm going to go celebrate with my friends and family. And what's interesting about this moment is that like, I don't know if you're in his shoes or, or really just in your own life from day to day, you might be like making plan B's about thing that you have going on in your life, right? Maybe you have a big dream that you want to chase or you have a big savings account behind you that if you took a risk to do something dreamy, you have something to fall back on, a little cushion just in case you fail or something doesn't work out. Uh, a lot of ways that's practical, but Elisha does not do that here. When he has the call from God, he is going to sell out and give everything. He burns his plow 
and burns the 12 oxen that he has as a feast with his friends and family. I see this as like maybe a huge going away party for him as a, this is my, maybe my last dinner with my friends and family because I don't know, maybe, maybe God's gonna take me and use me real quick and then my life might be over, I don't know. So I'm gonna celebrate this moment with my friends and family and neighbors, which is really cool. The thing is, he could have taken that plow, he could have taken the oxen, and he could have stored them for just in case, just in case the whole profit thing doesn't work out, in case I don't like it, in case it's a little too uncomfortable, I can come back and do the thing that I'm familiar with. But he burns that plow and he gets rid of those oxen. His old way is done. He has said, yes, I'm going all in and devoting myself fully to the Lord. In 2 Kings 2, from the first story I read to you uh, from that bit of scripture, when Elijah is is saying, I'm going to Bethel, I'm going to Jericho, the Lord is leading me to the next place, you must remain here. He says, I will not leave you. As long as the Lord lives and as you live, I will be by your side, I will not leave you. He stays close to his master, he stays close to the one who is discipling him because he knows he has so much to learn, he has so much to soak in from this teacher. In 2 Kings 2, uh, as we read uh, in that same section of that story, he asks for a blessing of a, a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Elijah says, I, I can't do it, man. Like, I, I do not have the power to give you double of what I have been given. He says, uh, Elijah said, what, what can I give to you? What can I do for you before the Lord takes me away? And Elisha says, I would like a, a double portion. Bless me with a double portion of the spirit that is, is within you, Elijah. He says, I can't do it. Uh, so he says, this is a hard thing that you have asked of me. It'd be like I'm at the Life Conference uh, next week and I've got some of my Life students with me from the Life team and we're at the shop and, and Canyon says to me, hey Seth, I wanna buy 20 t-shirts uh, and I got like 100 bucks on me. He's like, man, you got any money that I could have for these t-shirts? And I'm like, yeah, man, I got 100 bucks. And he's like, all these 20 t-shirts are gonna cost 200 bucks. I cannot double the portion that I have to give to Canyon right then and there. If you wanna buy 20 shirts, it's gonna cost a lot more than that, I think, at the conference, bro. But I cannot double my $100 in that moment to make $200 to give to Canyon for his shirts. And even Elijah recognizes the spirit that is upon him, it is a hard thing for him to say, you're going to have double of what I have, Elisha. He tells him, keep your eye on me. And as I leave, if you see me when I depart, that'll be given to you. And sure enough, it was. But this honoring comes through the, the vein of, I want what this guy has from, I want to glorify God like him. I want to mimic this guy because he has seen the glory of God revealed through him. I want that and much more. Again, some of this behavior mimicking we see in what I'm calling gracious allowance. You know, when he kept saying, I will not leave you, I will not leave you, I will not leave you to Elijah, uh, Elisha, I had like a hard time thinking like, is this like disobedience? Is this disobedience or is this honoring? Like he's being told, I'm going over here, you stay here, but he says, I'm gonna stay by your side. I'm gonna stay by your side. In the same way, after uh, Elisha gets the cloak from Elijah, uh, there's a story that happens where there's, there's those 50 prophets who are watching from a distance. And they say to Elisha, after Elijah's taken up into the whirlwind, let us go and search for Elijah because maybe God has put him down on a mountainside somewhere or somewhere in a valley where we can't see him from here which is really possible. If you've ever seen the movie Twister, you know people get sucked up and thrown by tornadoes in all different kinds of directions, right? If you're under the age of 13, don't watch that movie quite yet. Uh, 
That's one of my favorites when I was a kid, though. Anyway, so Elijah is gone. Elijah's gone, and the prophets say to Elijah, Elisha, let us go and search for him. Let us seek him out, because maybe God set him somewhere else. Um, and Elisha says no several times, but then finally he gives this gracious allowance of yes. Even though I think I know better right now, I know where Elijah is, I'll let you go and search for him. There's this gracious allowance, this mimicking, uh, even as Elijah was gracious with Elisha when he said he would not leave him. And finally, number five is just this point of honoring, uh, is this trusting power. I believe that Elisha is honoring Elijah. When he comes to the bank of the Jordan, Elisha, Elijah is already taken up. Elisha has the cloak of this, this anointing that has fallen upon him to be the next prophet in Israel. And he brings that cloak to the bank of the Jordan and he hits the water with it just like Elijah did. And he says, where is the God of Elijah now? He knows who this God is that has been working in his life and through Elijah and he calls upon him here with the trusting power. And then he crosses the Jordan. So we see this hunger uh, for the Lord's work in Elisha's life, this hunger uh, in his, for, for the Lord's work in his leadership. He wants this double portion of the spirit that was within Elisha, and, and rightfully so, friends. I mean, what was Elisha before his call to ministry? He was a farmer. And I'm not saying that to belittle farmers at all. I'm just highlighting what has happened here is a major shift as a blessing pours out. As a calling and a blessing pours out, God transform a farmer into a major prophet. He witnesses instruction and demonstration and observation from Elijah in his season of being mentored by him, in his season of being God's hands, of witnessing God's faithfulness and seeing God as God alone through these miracles. So he gets this blessing. We toss the word blessing around quite a bit, so I just wanna define it for you here in this moment because blessing sometimes means like resources, like things that we have are blessings, people in our lives are blessings. Salvation from the Lord is a blessing. But here in this moment, this blessing is a call and it is a blessing of identity, value, purpose, mission and favor from the Lord over his life. Elijah is taken by a chariot and Elisha picks up the mantle and goes forward. Man, he had a guy filled with the spirit watching God move through him. That's a pretty good mentor, amen? I believe you have mentors in your life as well. Whether you have thoughtfully participated in selecting them and embracing them or, or whether they just happen upon your life circumstance, maybe for better or for worse. There are people before you breathing identity and direction and calling into your life. And I just wanna ask you today, is it of God? Are the people speaking into your life and giving you identity and direction of God? Is it worthy to be embraced? Or are you soaking in worldly mentorship that is pointing you in a trajectory that is not healthy in the long run for your life, for your soul? I have a couple things I want you to consider when you're thinking about having a mentor. I think it's very valuable and I just wanna focus on this for a couple of minutes. An effective mentor understands that their role is to be dependable, engaged, and authentic, tuned into the needs of the one that they're mentoring. 
A mentor supports you, but also challenges you to grow deeper and develop. And I'm specifically talking about someone who's coaching you and mentoring you in the faith right now. Proverbs 27, 17 speaks of, of this. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And a word to those who have the ability to mentor and shepherd those who are generations behind them. 1 Peter 5 says that we are to be shepherds of God's flock that is under our care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not for pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Both of these verses demonstrate God's desire for us to be mentored and to mentor. A couple of other important factors when you're thinking about a mentor relationship in your life. Uh, you might have a mentor in your life where you ask yourself, do you feel like this is a person you can easily open up with, that you can be vulnerable with? Does this person have availability, just logistically thinking, does this person have availability to meet with me? Do I have availability to meet with this person? Uh, and, and I would recommend in person is probably the best way. I'm not saying you can't have virtual mentoring happening, but there is a gift of being in person for mentorship and checking in on a regular basis outside of just connecting once a month or something like that. And I would encourage you to do that outside of Sunday morning at church. Like we can check in with each other on Sunday morning and say, hey, how you doing? But like to get that good hour, two hour chunk of, I wanna do some life with you on a regular basis is healthy for soaking in, for giving you direction, for allowing a, a person of God to speak direction and life and purpose over you. Somebody who knows the word is filled with the spirit. Your mentor should be a person moved by God. Your mentor should be a person who has been through it and is willing to walk through it with you. Maybe it's not the exact same thing, but you need somebody who's going to be able to get down in the dirt with you. Somebody's going to say, I have been through a hard thing, maybe exactly like what you've been through, or maybe just I have been through hard things, and I, I had people in my life who helped shepherd me through it, or maybe you didn't, but I want to be that person for you. I want to help guide you and mentor, mentor you through a hard thing that you're going through, to keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Your mentor should be a person who is continuously pointing you to Jesus, a Christ-centered, spirit-filled, kingdom-minded, living person. So where do we go from here? Well, let's look at Elisha in his life again. How did Elisha go forward from there? Elisha was invited by a spirit-filled person to follow, to receive transformation and mentorship, and to be sent for the kingdom in the same power of the Spirit of God. Elisha was sold out for his calling. Elisha and Elijah were both humans, both regular people who God called to do what God can do through any one of us. I love this. Like the Spirit of God that was upon them is the Holy Spirit that is within you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today. These are not heroes that have some special ability that we do not have today. The power of God is available in you for the world to see his glory. I love that. If you wanna hear how Elisha walked on and moved forward from here, 
I want you to pick up your Bible sometime this week and read from 2 Kings chapter 2 on for like the next 10 or 11 chapters. You will gather loads of stories of the power and the Spirit of God moving through Elisha just like he did through the life of Elijah. And through this beauty of, of shepherding Elisha, through the beauty of having this mental relationship and seeing the power of God through him, his life was transformed. So awesome. So here's where I want to wrap up. I want us to take a moment to examine here now. I want us to consider where we're at in our relationships with mentorship. What are the mental relationships in your life looking like? Are you lacking it in your life? Whether that is to receive mentorship for yourself or to give mentorship for others? Think about that right now. Maybe you need to spend a, a moment confessing today. Uh, I need mentorship in my life, God. Or maybe you're, you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're saying, I have squandered mentorship opportunities from younger generations before me. Maybe you're saying, I, I need to confess, I have not been living as one who would be described as a good mentor. Listen, you're not going to surprise anyone by asking uh, for prayer and confessing that you have sin that has led you uh, to be looking like a poor mentor or lacking mentorship. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's it, folks. All our hands are greasy. We all need the cleansing power of Jesus. We need the Passover lamb to bring us healing and restoration. And here's some more good news. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, God does not want you to leave the same way that you came in here today. He wants to engage with you. He wants to have an encounter with you. He wants to dance with you today. He wants you to surrender your life to him wholly, every part and he will use his Holy Spirit, he will use the power of his word, and he will use his people to speak truth and life into you as a blessing for direction and identity in him. This is beautiful. This gives me so much hope. Maybe you need to repent today. Maybe you need to say something to God like, I no longer want to pridefully steer my own ship. I need mentorship, and I need you to bring someone into my life who can help mentor me through these things that I'm working through, God. It's time I receive mentorship. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum again, and you're saying, I repent of, of being idle with my time and with my experiences that I have had from God. Uh, I, I no longer want to sit idly and not mentor. It's time to invest. It's time to share my story of how I have seen God working in my life through the things I have been through. And maybe it's time for you to receive today, friends. Maybe you need to receive prayer over this. So I wanna invite you, after I'm done wrapping this up here, if you wish to come forward to receive prayer and say, I, I, I need a mentor. I, I want to be a mentor and I need God to lead me in this process. Maybe you're asking for provision, for wisdom of what to give somebody as you're mentoring them. Maybe you're asking for wisdom of who should I ask to be a mentor in my life today. If you want to come forward and receive prayer after this, come forward and receive prayer. Confess, repent, and receive from the Lord.
and we'll rejoice. We'll praise God and testify for the step that you have taken today. And we'll praise God and testify to the provision of mentorship opportunities in your life in the coming days and weeks ahead. Now, I know what this means. It means a shift. It means a shift in your time. It means opening up to people in your life for, for meals or for grocery runs together or for, for inviting someone new to play tennis with you or, or pickleball. It might mean doing service projects together. It means developing levels of vulnerability uh, that might be sensitive. This is what mentorship's about. It's about being raw and being able to say, I have been through a hard thing and here is how God has rescued me. Here is how God has guided me through it. We gotta be able to share that. And we see this specifically in my context. I see this in youth ministry a lot. And kids, uh, the next generation, the truth is they can smell fakes, especially like, like they're just so hungry for the truth. And they need to know from you, the older generation, they want to see and know that the disciplines that take time daily are worth it. That sanctification that may be painful is worth embracing. They need to know and hear that the pursuit of a holy lifestyle and Christian community and chasing after Jesus and the work of the Spirit is good and available, and they want to know that all of this is worth it. And sure, people can hear it from the pulpit if they go to church. People can hear it from a podcast or on the radio or read it in a good book, but I know that God has made us for relationship with him and with others. And taking a step to be mentored or to be a mentor for others, I believe it is a step of obedience and fulfilling the greatest commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. You have so much to offer your neighbor. God has so much to offer your neighbor through you. My friend uh, who's a pastor of Lux Digital Church, just this weekend, his name's Mark Lutz. This weekend he posted this. He said, make the ask. They might just say yes. If you need something, uh, if you're looking for help, if you're looking for someone to mentor you, if you're trying to chase down some big audacious crazy dream, make the ask. Don't allow the fear of rejection to prevent you from living into everything that God may be calling you to do. So let's take a quiet moment now to examine our hearts and see where we're at with all of this. And when you're ready, you may come forward for prayer. You may come forward to surrender and say, God, I need you. I need you to provide a mentor for me. God, I need you. I need you to lead me in the ways you want me to mentor those who are coming after me. And know this, God is here to meet you in it. God's people are here to cover you and care for you in prayer. So let's get after this quietly now for a few moments.